Anyway, this morning, as we are in our second Sunday in Advent, getting ready uh, to celebrate the coming of the Christ child, I want to read from Luke, the first chapter. Now, Luke, of all the, uh, the four Gospels, Luke was the only one who really took great detail to uh, talk about the, the birth of Christ and the coming of, of the Messiah. And uh, he starts out by first telling the story of John the Baptist how he came, because John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one who came, as the Bible said, to make clear the path for Jesus to come and to be revealed in the earth. So before Jesus was uh, uh, born, John the Baptist was born, uh, and uh, they were actually cousins. And we read about it in Luke, the first chapter, and verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Uh, They were part of the the priestly tribe. And uh, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So here are two really, really, really good people, who despite being wonderful people and really good people, uh, their hearts were broken for a really long time. Uh, because as we read in the next verse, uh, that they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, I don't know how old very old is to Luke. I suppose it depends on how old he was when he wrote it. For example, I feel very young. <laughs> to teenagers, I appear very old. It's all a matter of perspective. So I I don't know how old. Old enough, I assume that the idea of conceiving had long been laid to rest. The clothes for business signs were up and things were shuttered and (laughs) just not working anymore like they should. And uh, Anyway, once uh, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot. What they would do is they come together and as they were praying and worshiping God uh, they would pick by lot who which priest would be the one to go into the Holy of Holies and burn incense and uh, before the Lord for the prayers of the people and he was chosen according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense and when the time for the burning of incense came all the assembled worshipers were praying outside and then Uh, As he goes in there, an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, it it freaked him out. He was startled and gripped gripped with fear. Well, you can imagine, you go in, you're supposed to be the only guy in there. And all of a sudden you look up and, oh, there's another guy. It's a little freaky. Uh, I kind of get a kick out of it. You know, you always think, man, wouldn't it be great to see an angel? Wouldn't it be great to have one? Apparently, it's not so much fun. Because every time in the Bible an angel appears, the first thing they say is, calm down. Because it's a little freaky. You know, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, whoa, where'd you come from? And a uh, little, little freaky. So uh, this angel shows up and freaks the willies out of the guy. And uh, the angel says to him, as all these angels say, don't be afraid. Easy for them to say. Uh, and then he says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Seriously, my prayer has been heard. Now, the prayer he's talking about is this prayer that they would have children. Your prayer has been... 
Prayer? You mean the prayer I prayed 30 years ago? That prayer has been heard? Interesting point about this is obviously God is on a different timetable than the rest of us. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, what we think is the end of the world often is not the end of the world and God moves differently and, and, and uh, there's encouragement here, you know, when, when you read stuff like this is just remember, you know, God has not forgotten about your situation even though it may seem he has forgotten. Oftentimes, uh, God will wait uh, so that he gets even greater glory, right? I mean, the fact that if God would have answered their prayer when she was in her 20s, it would have been a great miracle to answer to prayer. But a bigger prayer miracle when she's in her 50s or 60s, how old this lady is at this point, I don't know, a much bigger miracle. And, uh, and I always say to people, and you've heard me say this many times, everybody wants a miracle, right? Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to need a miracle. You know what I'm saying? People get in a situation where they need a miracle and they get mad. They get mad, God, how can we need that's my prayer? Now we need a miracle, now it's going to take a miracle. If God would have just shown, now it's going to take a miracle. And we get all freaked out and, and just chill out, dude. That's when miracles show up, when you need a miracle. We read the stories of the Bible, you know, we see all these great things. We think, wow, how cool it was. But stop and think of the situation these people were, were in. You know, we, we read about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and how God showed up in the miracle of the lions didn't need him. Cool miracle. The bad news is you got thrown into the lion's den. Or the three Hebrew children who got thrown into the fiery furnace and the miracle how they got delivered. Yeah. The bad news is you got thrown in the fiery furnace. Lazarus being raised from the dead. What a cool miracle. Yeah, the bad news is you got to be dead. You know, it's not, it's not, you know what I'm talking about? We always celebrate that. Woo! Look at the miracle. You know, Paul and Silas and these guys get arrested for preaching the gospel and they get the snot beat out of them. And thrown into jail. And we're not talking county lockup here. We're talking, you know... Can you imagine prisons 2,000 years ago? How lovely they had to be. The smell, the stench, the misery, the discomfort. And then an angel shows up and breaks them out of prison. We praise God for that. The bad news is you got, the, got arrested and the snot kicked out of you. So don't freak out when you need a miracle. Don't get mad at God when it seems hopeless. Because that's when God likes to show up. Isn't that cool? Well, it's not cool if you're needing the miracle. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's cool that God does this because he, he loves to be glorified. Don't lose hope. So anyway, he says, your prayer has been heard. Hello. <laughs> it's been a while. But uh, anyway, the prayer is your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and, del- and a delight to you. That's the blessing part, I'm sure. What a joy now in their later years to have this little rugrat running around. But he says, many will rejoice because of his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be very special. You have to treat him differently. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Stop and think about that. It's the only time that uh, I'm aware of in the scripture where it says someone was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Shows the power of life in the womb. That apparently it's not just a glob and a blob in there. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. It is life. 
and we should respect life. So from the very womb, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord. He's obviously making clear the path for Jesus to come. And he will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, they knew who Elijah was. If you're not familiar with Elijah was, he was... You know, they had all kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. Well, Elijah and Elisha, these were like the yo mama prophets. These are the big guys. You know, these are the guys who show up and they're kicking butt and taking names and doing miracles and calling down fire from heaven and raising the dead. I mean, these are, most of the prophets were pretty much just guys they went around telling, you know, hey, if you don't repent, God's going to kill you, you know, or some judgment's going to come, you know, and all, all. But these guys, these were like the, you know, fireworks kind of prophets. So to say that, this guy's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You've got to assume miracles, right? You'd assume. This means he's going to show it with miracles. The spirit and the prophet, the prophet he's talking about, Elijah would come before Jesus, you know, and, and, and this great spiritual impact would happen. All of us, any, and I'm sure they all thought it too. With that analogy, it's got to be some guy who's going to do incredible miracles. Amazingly, there's no record of John ever doing a single miracle. You see, apparently, the spirit and the power of Elijah is different than what we would think, which is very consistent, because the way we view life and the way God views life, oftentimes, very differently. Clearly, timetables are a little different, <laughs> you know, but even here, what was the spirit and the power of Elijah that he comes in? He says, well, this is, here's what he's going to accomplish. He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Something you think wouldn't be necessary. You would think a natural thing is that parents' hearts would be towards their children. But there are, uh, oftentimes it's easy to get so narcissistic and so selfish in our own thinking that even as parents, we don't act in our children's best interest. We act in our own best interest. And he says the disobedient... He will turn them to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, in Luke, the third chapter, two chapters later, he starts to describe what this John does. He says, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was basically sent to tell people to stop it. Just stop Stop the insanity. Stop the craziness. Stop doing the destructive, self-destructive, and offensive things against God that we do in our lives. Stop it! He didn't come with great revelations per se. Not a lot of great deep theological insights about this, that, and the other. His message was basically, stop doing what's wrong. I've often been asked as I travel around the country, people will say, well, how? You know, how, what, what kind of ministry do you feel you have, Pastor Mark? And I always say, I feel I have a John the Baptist ministry, you know. The good news is he affected a lot of people. The bad news is he lost his head in the end, you know. But John, I just, just, just stop. Stop. I, every once in a while, I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Mark, why don't you teach on the deeper theological insights on blah, 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 you know, and I think, Dude, I'm just, I'm just trying to get people to quit being so mean to each other. 
You know, I've been, you know, that's why I told my brother Eddie when we were first thinking about working. He says, dude, I need you to come in and give us some deep stuff. I, you know, to my messages, I just always feel is, can be summed up with, stop! You know, and I need someone to come along and help them and show them how to stop. I'm just yelling at people, you know, because it just drives me crazy. I'm just <laughs> obsessed with this. Stop the craziness. How do we expect to worship God and grow and, you know, and. Some deep theological thing. I'm just trying to get guys to quit looking at porn for heaven's sakes. I don't know what they think about their deep theological this, that, and the other. I don't think we can grow in our faith if we keep doing things that are blatantly insulting to God in our lives. Somebody say amen. So I'm not the deepest guy in the world, but hopefully it doesn't cost me my head someday. Anyway, John... In verse 7, it says, he said to the crowds coming out to be baptized. And he had an amazing ministry. He had great impact. The spirit and this power that were on him drew people to him. Even though he performed no miracles. He draw all these, and they come by the multitudes. And all these people would come out wanting to be baptized by John. And this is what he would say to him. Say to them, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you bunch of snakes. Now, this is not how you welcome people who come out to see you, you know. Good to see you all this morning, you bunch of snakes. You know, I mean, this is not a good thing. But this is what he did. I mean, he was yelling at people all the time. It's amazing he drew so many people to him because he wasn't particularly complimentary, to say the least. You bunch of snakes, he said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? That means show you really are changing. In other words, the way you can tell an apple tree is an apple tree is it makes apples. Okay? Obvious fruit. If you say you take your faith seriously, then let's see it. Is basically what he's saying. And he says, and don't say to yourselves, well, uh, we have Abraham as our father. Because see, what they would do is they, someone would pull into this religious stance that, well, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm a, I'm a very religious person. I come from a religious family. You know, we hear that even today. People think they're okay. Well, I, I went to church for years. I'm fine. I'm not so bad. You know, my, my grandma was a good Christian, you know. <laughs> good for your grandma. But it's like, do you any good? Dude, I don't care what kind of family you come from. Hopefully it's a good family, but it can be the best family in the world. But at the end of the day, what your daddy and your grandma and your uncles and everybody else is what their experience with God means jack squat to you. You need to have an experience with God. Everybody, at the end of the day, needs to have an experience with God. And I don't care how religious you've been or how, to, you know, at the end, that's really what counts. So he says, don't, don't start saying to them, well, I'm not so bad. I have all this religious stuff and or I have, you know, Abraham is our father. He says, I can tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He was the quintessential fire and brimstone preacher, this guy. All right. And people would say, well, what what should we do? And John answered, well, anyone who has two shirts, you know, you got an extra you don't need, share with the guy who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors, whom they all despised, they considered them... uh, collaborators with the Romans uh, would come and say, well, what should we do? And he said, well, don't take any more, collect any more money than you're required to. Because a lot of these guys would take extra taxes and line their pockets, you know, and rip off the people. And some soldiers came to him, well, what should we do? 
He said, well, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with the amount of money that you're being paid. It's interesting that as you look at what he was saying to people, his argument was pretty basic morality. Let's get this stuff right. Let's get the basics right. Are there many other great deep spiritual insights to be had in the Christian faith? Yes, there are. But at the end of the day, unless we get the basics right, what does it matter? If you know this or that and you can give the theological reasonings behind this, that and the other and what's going to happen in the end times, what point is it if we can't live the life of God in our homes? If you can't live this at home, you can't live it. Don't tell me you love Jesus and hate your husband. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you spend no time with your kids, dads. Don't tell me that. You're deceiving yourselves. This is why when John came, he was doing kind of the basics. Parents, love your children. He's turning the hearts of the parents to their own children. You would think that's an automatic thing. But it wasn't in that day. And I promise you it's not today. We have people today who, despite what they say, I love my children more than life itself, yet they do everything they can to act in the worst interests of those children. They go through divorces they don't really need to be going through. They're just mad. They're not happy. They're not getting what they want. They say they love their children. How can you say you love your children and then do something that is one of the most damaging things you can do to a child? We deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves. We have men who say they love their children and spend no time with their children. Always off working to God knows when and if they're not, then they're out playing some games off someplace else or chasing some animal through the trees. And I'm not against shooting things. Shoot them all. I don't care. I'm not against, you know, hunting and guys taking time. And guys need downtime. I get all that. But dude, don't overdo it. I'm shocked at how many guys spend no time. Every free time they have, they're out away. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is to live this stuff out. Turn your hearts to your homes. Live it out. Stop doing this stuff. The obvious stuff. But we, we live in a world today where people, they think, well, you know, all that really matters is how I feel about things. Seriously, I get this all the time. You got someone who's committing adultery or... <laughs> I was going to use another word, but I'll be nice. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't know, <laughs> so many weird things people do today. And, and then you can take them and you can sit down and show them. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing, look at the Bible. It's, what you're doing is wrong. And they look at you and say, well, well, I, don't, I don't feel it's wrong. I don't care what you feel. God doesn't care what you feel. He did not say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Unless you feel like it. <laughs> thou shalt not kill. And, unless they take your parking space. You know, that's, that's, that's understandable. You know. Get in front of you at Best Buy, then I can see killing men, you know. <laughs> but we live in this weird morality today that all that matters is how you feel, and you gotta do what you feel. You can't help and 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 we live in a pagan culture that says, Well, if you feel it, you have to do it. If you feel it, you have to do it. They're convincing your teenagers, oh well, our kids are gonna do drugs and they're gonna have sex because they can't help it. They feel it, you know. And we live in this thing where it's like we teach people like they're animals. This is why it's it's so damaging. And 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 while I don't get in a big 
arguments about, you know, you know how did how was the world created? You know, and I, who knows? I wasn't there. Okay, I know I look like I was there. Okay, but I wasn't there. <laughs> Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Okay, so, but you know, I think God did it. You know, this big fight over evolution and stuff like that. What bugs me is at the end of the day, what they're trying to say is God had nothing to do with it. That we're basically animals. I don't believe. That's why we say we believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. God created this. We are his divine creation. We are not animals. We don't do whatever, you know, like cats and dogs and they can't control themselves and what. Just, oh, well, pastor, the reason I look at porn is I don't want to, but I just, I really want to. I can't stop. It's because you bought into this thing that you have to do what you feel. Everybody's convinced they have to do whatever they feel. The beauty of Christianity is we get to live life despite how we feel. I'm telling you, there's great freedom in this. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. I don't have to live by how I feel. And I quit trying to teach your kids to live. You know, there's, there's even in schools and stuff, you know. Well, Johnny, how did that make you feel? When you punch that boy in the face, how, how did that make you feel? Ever? I don't care how it makes you feel, all this emphasis on feeling. There's this, this crazy thinking. I mean, if everybody just lives by how they feel, it will be a better world. Are you kidding me? Look at the world we're in. The problem is people are increasingly live by how they feel. There is no morality. There is no right and wrong. It's just whatever you feel. If you feel, you, you can't help it because, you, you know... I didn't mean to commit adultery. I just, you know, we just, we just, we just, it just happened. We fell in love. You don't fall in love. You fall in a toilet. You fall on the floor. You don't, <laughs> you don't fall. In, look, I get the temptations. I get it. We all feel things. I get it. The beauty is that with Jesus living in us, we don't have to live by how we feel. We get to live by what's right. And He empowers us by the presence of God in our lives. To live supernatural lives. Just not natural lives, but supernatural lives. And what John did is he went around saying, look, you don't have to live this way. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and one was wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. John answered them, listen, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What he's saying is I'm not the one, but the one is coming. And then we read a little bit later how John is baptizing and then Jesus comes and he stops and he says to everybody, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one. And he baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes like a dove on Jesus and you, everyone heard a voice, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Whoa. And Jesus began his ministry. John was there. Just to get the basics down. So that Jesus could come and be revealed in the world. I am convinced we need a big dose of that today in the Christian world. People sometimes wonder, how come we don't see more of God show? How come we don't see more of miracles? Why? Because we still, we're still we just not even dealing with the basics yet. As we go into this Christmas season, let us begin by getting the basics. Let's stop doing the things we know we should not be doing. Let's start doing the things we know we should be doing. Quit rationalizing in our heads and making up all these excuses and all this nonsense and letting our emotions dictate our morality. This is the world in which we live. 
We have a new form of morality in America today. You know, It's not based on morality. It's based on recycling. I mean, you can lie, cheat, steal, murder, abort your children, divorce. doesn't matter. That's all fine and reasonable. But don't you dare not recycle. That makes you evil, you know. I call it the penance of a pagan culture. Rather than get right with God, what we do is we make, take the time to put our plastics in this bag and our paper in this bag and all the other garbage in this bag. I'm not a bad person, but I do recycle. It's, it's the penance of paganism. It's, it's absurd. I'm not a, you want to put all that junk? I don't care. But don't deceive ourselves into thinking this makes us righteous, you know. Who cares how we live, how our morality is? We come up with other versions of morality to make up for where we're lacking. We deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves. It's time that we get our heads screwed back on right and get back to the basics. Anyway, got John in trouble. Verse 19, he says, but then John rebuked Herod. He was the boss. He was in charge of everything because he'd married his brother's wife. A bunch of other evil things he'd done and Herod added to his evil by locking John up in prison. Throws John in prison. Apparently the spirit and the power of Elijah was the fact that he was so bold and confrontational. Which if you go look at Elijah, he was very bold, very confrontational. He was in Ahab's face all the time and Jezebel's face all the time. He didn't fret anybody. He was always, he did all these cool miracles, but you have to see, from God's viewpoint, miracles are easy. I mean, to us, it's a big deal. To him, miracles, that's nothing. What he thought was cool, what he thought was neat, was here is a guy who's bold in who he is. Bold in his faith. Very cool. But he gets thrown into jail and eventually gets his head chopped off. But, uh, you know, in Luke chapter 7, just a few more chapters later, we see that John had been in prison and he'd been there for you know a couple of years or whatever but you can imagine again these are not nice places this is not like a prison we would think of today this is thousands of years ago the squalor the filth the constant humiliation the darkness wasn't like they got out to go play basketball out in the courtyard you know for an hour or so every day this is a horrible horrible place to be And John, this incredible man, filled with the Holy Spirit since before he was born, he starts to do something none of us would think he'd ever do. He starts to doubt. Even John. You see, that's what happens when you get in the pit. When things get dark. When things don't happen as quickly as... You think it seems like night is never going to end. You've been unemployed for Lord knows how long. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Why doesn't think in what starts to happen when you're in the pit? You start to doubt. And John starts to doubt. Well, is is Jesus really the Messiah? And we read it in verse 20 of chapter 7. He says, then men came to Jesus and said, hey, John the Baptist sent us to ask you this, this one very simple question. Are you the one who is to come? Talking about the Messiah. Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus looked at him and said, Just tell John everything you've seen. How 
the blind eyes are open, how the deaf ears can hear, how the lame are healed and can walk. And they took that message back to John, and I'm sure it comforted John to know that, in fact, this is the Messiah. It's interesting that Jesus did not condemn him. You think, man, what's the matter with John? Tell him, stop it. He baptized me. He saw the Holy Spirit fall. He should know better. He didn't do any of that. He just reassured him. If you're in a dark place today in your life, God isn't mad at you. And I know it gets frustrating at times. It starts to doubt. I got a simple little phrase I heard many, many years ago. Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you clearly in the light. When it gets dark and you can't see and things get icky, you just slow down. You kind of feel your way through things. It's all right. The Bible says, darkness and weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. As dark as it is, it's always the darkest just before the dawn. Take heart. Don't lose heart. I'm going to invite the ushers to come as we get ready to serve communion this morning and our Musicians can come back. So as we read this preparatory event before the coming of the Christ child, four simple points. Number one, don't get discouraged when your prayers aren't answered as fast as you would think. Sometimes God's just waiting to make a bigger splash. Number two, as we prepare our hearts for Christ's coming. Repentance is paramount. Let's let's be careful. Let's stop doing what we know was wrong. Let's start doing what is right. So, Pastor, I can't help it. I really feel it. The good news, we don't live by our feelings. Don't listen to the lie that because you feel it, you have to do it. You don't have to do what you feel at all. Number three, don't be afraid to be bold and confident in your faith. And who you are and what you believe. This is will be a challenge, you know, oftentimes during the Christmas holidays we have to get around family that we avoid the rest other 51 years, weeks of the year, <laughs> you know. And sometimes it's a hostile environment if you're a person of faith because sometimes we get around family who is not into faith. They'll think you're a nut. They'll think you're crazy. They want to argue with you. Don't get into arguments with people. Don't be self-righteous. Don't condemn people. The challenge is to be confident in who you are and what you believe without being mean or judgmental or come off as some self-righteous jerk. And finally, don't lose faith when things get dark. And don't doubt in the dark what you have clearly seen in the light. And let me end kind of with what... John the Baptist said, you know, we say, well, what can I do? And he said, you know, if you have an extra shirt, give it to someone who doesn't. If you're walking in God's light and you're, you have the wonderful light of family and blessings, there are people around you who every year Christmas is a very difficult time for them. It's hard for them. They don't have family. They don't have friends. Maybe their world has been shattered by divorce or this, that, and the other, and They're kind of lonely. Christmas, ironically, for some people, is the loneliest time of the year. Let me encourage you as we're enjoying family and friends to kind of keep your eyes open. Look for people around you. 
in the church, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, who for them Christmas is a really dark time. And open your hearts to them. Maybe invite them. Put another table or chair or two out and invite others into your world and let them feel loved and share some of the glorious light that God has given you. Well, we're getting ready to celebrate communion. This is what we do every Sunday. Believers all over the world do this over and over and over again. Why? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why would he say that? Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget what this is about. Get caught up in our lives and everything else. The beauty about constantly doing this is reminding ourselves that all of this wonderful faith experience that we have is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His body was broken so we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. Where are you at with this this morning? Do you know this wonderful Jesus we're talking about? Have you experienced God personally in your life? Remember, it doesn't matter your background or what others around you have. What do you have? I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads in a word of prayer this morning. And those who are watching on TV all over central and north central Wisconsin who watch this program. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus during this Christmas season, what better time could there be to reach out to him in faith? And experience his forgiveness in your life. We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer along with me. And if you'll believe these words and open your heart. You can start to experience God's forgiveness and grace in your life today. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.